Hi, this is Please Touch the Art. My name's Kieve, and my cat looks like an animatronic person. I use they, them, theirs pronouns. I'm Camille. I'm a veterinarian and a scientist. I, yeah. I research bone cancer. Yeah, for doggos and cattos, right? And humans. And humans? Yeah. That's cool. I didn't know that part. Okay, cool. Well, then let's go ahead and get into looking at this painting. Tell me what you're looking at if you want to, or I can start. Yeah, so it's... I recognize that it's Frida Kahlo, I mean, because you told me, but also, like, it has, like, her face is very distinctive and the way that she draws herself is recognizable. Can you describe to me what things Frida has painted that clue you in this is Frida Kahlo? Yeah, so the fact that she gives herself really distinct eyebrows and that they kind of come together is something that I've seen in a lot of her drawings, and she doesn't shy away from drawing herself with facial hair on her upper lip, and just... The general face shape is recognizable to me because I've seen it elsewhere. Right. How do you think that this was made? I mean, I almost want to say crayons, but that's silly. It was probably acrylic? Um, it was actually oil paint. Okay. Um, and I only know this because of when it was made, to be fair. When I do look at this, I do see that it was a lot of translucent layerings because you can see in the sky places where the canvas is showing through and mm-hmm. you can kind of see kind of that that kind of like scrubby grainy quality to the paint. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes any sense to you. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Tell me about how this person is dressed and tell me like where they are. Yeah. So she looks like she's on a beach or a marsh. Okay. Um, The background is kind of green and scraggled and it looks like there's dark pools of water and then there's the sky. There's a cloth coming around her hips that almost looks like a stone so like she's kind of emerging from the earth Um, and she's wearing some kind of medical brace on her shoulders and across her chest and over her torso and she's split in half by this kind of at the top it's like a greco-roman pillar and as it like goes further down it becomes more mechanical and almost machine-like okay And she's got nails all over herself. I'm really glad that you described the column as being Greco-Roman. Yeah. Um, That makes me very happy. Um, Do you think that this person is somebody who has agency, or do you think that the person looking at this painting has most of, like, the power of, like, storytelling what's happening? I feel like the person is telling their own story, but just the, the constrictive... Like, I know that that medical devices can look really constrictive and uncomfortable, but just the way that she's painted them makes it seem like she maybe didn't have as much agency over what was happening to her with this process as she would have liked, possibly. Okay. And tell me how this painting in particular makes you feel or anything that you can draw on in your life that you identify with this painting. I mean, it makes me feel really sad and empathetic to her. You know, that that feeling of the nails being driven all over her skin is really, like, I have chronic pain, so I can understand that feeling of, like, having a medical condition where you you feel like you're always in pain, and no matter what, you just, you can't get rid of it. And this kind of idea of being split open by it and trying to tape yourself back together. So it draws me in because I feel like, you know, this is a person from another, like, 
time and place and completely different circumstances, but it's, you know, I, I, I get that. I've, I've felt painful too, I get it. Yeah. This is the broken column painted in oil by Frida Kahlo in 1940. Frida Kahlo was born in Mexico City, a suburb actually, in 1907 and died in 1954. We're going to talk a little bit about illness first. We're pretty sure that Frida Kahlo had spina bifida, which is a birth defect of the spinal column where the bone itself doesn't properly grow, so nerve damage can occur. She also suffered leg damage from a bout of polio, which left her in pain for the rest of her life. We've got ourselves a content warning for Camille and for any other viewer that is not able to listen to talk about anything to do with miscarriages or assigned female genitalia. Frida Kahlo was hit by a tram when she was 18 years old and impaled through her pelvis with a metal rod that exited from her vagina and she considers her virginity to be taken by that metal pole and suffers a lot of psychological and lasting painful damage. Um, she had several miscarriages as a result of this injury. Some of her pregnancy terminations were against her will. I'm also going to say really fast that all women should be able to choose what happens to their body, but as a result, Frida was very, very interested in medical consent and hers was often taken from her. I'm gonna call Camille back in. Frida Kahlo originally wanted to be a doctor, but while she was bedridden in the hospital, she got bored. Bored of medical studies, Camille. How do you feel about that one? I mean, I, I, I can understand, yeah. especially if you're not the one conducting them. So she was bored of medical studies, so her father brought her oil paint, and we have a lot of photos and images of her painting while she was in the hospital. She was raised Catholic, but did not end up choosing Catholicism. She also was involved in the Communist Party of Mexico, she was an art teacher at La Esmeralda, which was an alternative art school. Um, she was queer, possibly polyamorous, and she often was photographed and painted herself as cross-dressing. She came from an upper middle class family and she was married to Diego Rivera. She was also mixed race of um, indigenous folk from Mexico as well as Spanish, which is called mestizas. I feel like I need a rattle in my head to, like, oh, yeah. tell that I'm nodding along. Some quotes from her diaries and sketchbooks include, I am disintegration, and a diary quote close towards the end of her life was, Are you leaving? No. Broken wings. A lot of her identity is wrapped up in her solitude brought on by her chronic pain. Do you have any more questions about who Frida Kahlo is before we, like, continue yeah. forward? I was really surprised that she wanted to be a doctor. Like, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't think that, like, that early in the 19th century that it was possible for women to be yeah. in medical school. So that's um, kind of cool. A lot of the paintings that I couldn't show you were very, like, medically graphic yeah. illustrations. And there was one in particular that, like, I'll just have to bring somebody in another day to talk yeah. about because... This painting in particular, but I don't think it really captures her ability to do medical illustration. Some other, like, 
of her pieces. Or just like her understanding of anatomy. Mm -hmm. I'll link to it in the show notes. So this was painted shortly after a spinal surgery. Sure. Um, From the surgery on throughout the rest of her life, she had to be tied to a chair in order to sit up. So Frida was very, like, in pain. A lot of the nails were meant to be representative of kind of like the pins and needle tangling along your arms and legs. I want us to take a second to look at this painting just taking in some of the things that we know about her pain. So we have the nails, we have the corset, the column being her broken spinal column, Mm -hmm. kind of looking at this as a broken body as a temple thing. Not thing, but like metaphor is the word that I'm actually searching for. There's even a diary drawing that I need to track down that is a precursor to this painting where there was a dove that nested on the headless shoulders of a female figure with um, the same kind of broken column, spinal column. Another thing that some people interpret the column to be is as a broken phallus, essentially saying that like this is something that is penetrating her rather than something that lives within her, kind of like the metal that impaled her in her accident. And kind of looking at it from, like, a perspective of being penetrated by, like, medical technology as well as kind of a male-centric dominated field. Another diary entry from her is, um, life is replaced by a crumbling ruin. Another thing that, um, I want to point out about the Greco-Roman column is... She believes that there's no such thing as classic beauty. Classic beauty is just made up of geometrical objects that cannot be reached in real life, which is really interesting in juxtaposition to the Greco-Roman column, which is very, like, into the perfect geometry to find, like, the perfect shapes and kind of, like, the modernism that she would have been coming out of as, like, a painter because modernism was like the distillation of there is a perfect everything. Right. Well, and you talk about like trying to reach that too. You think of like the Platonian ideal of like the shadows on the cave. cave. Yeah. yeah. Right. (laughs) You're trying to meet, meet that. And then you just, you can't. Right. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the politics? Oh man. I, yeah. I I just know they were bad. (laughs) Like, so I vaguely, like, I learned about yeah. this in high school, and I just remember thinking it was terrible. That's oh, yeah. all I got. Frida Kahlo, so Frida Kahlo was born at a time of upheaval, and she kind of grew up and grew into, like, an era of revolution. So she was painting very shortly after the Mexican Revolution. A lot of Mexican identity art is influenced by Frida Kahlo because of kind of the mishmash that she gleaned from being, like, a part of these, a part of these movements. Frida Kahlo in 1928 met Diego Rivera through the Communist Party. There was a Mexican mural movement that was going on at the time because the government of Mexico, being as new as it was, it kind of wanted to establish a new, this is what Mexico is, this is what Mexico looks like. And so as a result, there was like this huge demand for quote-unquote Mexicanized art Hmm. and essentially what that like meant 
in particular was the government wanted European technique that would produce something that looked pre-Columbian. So it was kind of like a mishmash of European style painting with Aztec symbology and like stuff like that and um, just kind of using like really old symbols. Frida in particular was not a part of the movement but because she was like kind of like in the center of the communist party and the the mural program she just ended up being really steeped in everything that was coming um and i kind of want to talk about like how she gleaned things from that she kind of identified with um the juxtaposition of mexican identity at the time the pre-columbian pre-colonization but also very colonialized the catholic but also not Catholic, the native culture and the Spanish culture meshing. They want to move forward in technology, but being held back, technologically speaking, by being a colony of somewhere else, different things like that. And um, one of the huge influences working with Diego and the other artists of the mural program was Frida was really influenced to make paintings that were more political than personal. Do you think that this piece looks personal, political, or a little bit of both? I'd say it looks like a little bit of both, but when I would first look at it, I think it, yeah. it strikes me as very introspective, and it's a, I mean, it's a self-portrait, right. which is already, like, more inherently personal. And then, you know, the subject matter of one's own body and one's own self, but also the personal is political, and you can't right. really escape that, that either, but it's not like... There's no overt, except for maybe the column, like, no overt, like, there's not a Mexican flag there or, like, the Mexican eagle or anything like that where you'd be like, oh, this is clearly blatantly political. Right. That makes sense. Um, yeah. And it, that's actually what I wanted to point out is, like, even though this looks like a very personal work about pain, there's also a lot of po little political moments that if you know the language of painting and symbology that you're just going to pick up on as you kind of look on look into it. And Frida herself is kind of a site where politics meet in general, being a person who is a metiza, being a person who is a woman, being a person who is in pain, kind of at the subject of mercy of wherever the medicine is, technologically speaking. She just ends up being at this point of, like, change and being marginalized, being queer. For example, like, Frida emphasizes the fact that her skin is darker, emphasizes the fact that she does have more facial hair, and the fact that she is nude, that she is gendering herself in this painting. And this is very, very intentional thing because Matizas were very objectified at the time. A lot of the time they were very, very sexualized. So her like taking this nude and then throwing this gaze back at us and giving us something to look at that is completely desexualized is actually very political artistically speaking. Yeah, no, I, I can see that now because, I mean, yeah, she's there and she's bare-chested and, you know, in a different context that could be very, like, ooh, risque, but, mm -hmm. like, knowing now, too, that she was a medical student, you can see the the precision and the very, like, anatomical detail to everything that, it, I won't say sterilizes it, because it's not right. sterilized, is it? but it just lays it out as something that is, not something that's being sexualized. Right. 
so one of her peers, Jose Vasconcelos, said, We are Indian, blood and soul. Our language and civilization is Spanish. And what I kind of take that to mean is it's kind of like that you've worked in academia. When you are writing academic papers or when you are like walking into a room and stating your piece, you have to speak the language of like the people around you that they know best. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the language that we have is meant to benefit the people on top, the colonizers, the people in charge. Even now, Native folk are often robbed of their language, or even if they do have their own language in order to communicate with us white folks, they need to talk in a way that we'll understand, which really can limit them, and it can limit them politically speaking. We have a system of years of people telling us that Native culture is wrong or silly or backwards somehow, when really we just don't have the language And I think that that's something that Frida is trying to work with through painting. Because even though, like, the rhetoric of the time, especially in her social circles, was about focusing on social change for the marginalized, a lot of that wasn't happening, and a lot of it wasn't happening for women especially. So I think that Frida kind of had to take her own narrative into her own hands in her own way. So as a result, she worked in her own narrative, which was a personalized European portrait style with a Mexican folk art kind of meld. And I think that that's just like a really interesting like way to think about why and how Frida Kahlo is painting politically yeah. speaking. Yeah, I think that's that's really interesting. You bring up like academia and like the languages that we use and how it privileges certain people. And, like, the use of jargon, for example, is very deliberately... I mean, on one hand, it's you use it because, oh, it's precise and it's a very specialized field, but it also is what separates the insiders from the outsiders, you know? Right. And people can be very, like, protective of that and very, this is the way we've always talked and we don't want to change that. And I think it is, it's really interesting and amazing and awesome that she kind of subverted that by just not using words at all. Right. And Frida, don't get me wrong, like, did, like, a lot of writing and stuff like that as well. And, like, sure. was it protests right, when she right. could be and stuff like that. Her first solo exhibition was in 1938, and it was not well received. And essentially a lot of her critics were like, yeah, your stuff is good, but, like, it's got, like, medical equipment in it, and it looks scary and we don't like it we want pretty flowers yeah we want pretty flowers and we want landscapes and we want women who are looking away so that we can sexualize them yeah one of the things that i that i think is really great is just how intimate um frida Kahlo is these paintings kind of validate her own experience so little of us will ever have that like intersection of race female identity queerness and chronic pain You have a lot of raw emotion with her tears, her being quite literally ripped open, but you also still have like that stoic glance into the viewer's eyes. It doesn't have anything to do with this painting, but one of the things that I thought was really beautiful while I was researching Frida Kahlo is Frida Kahlo would collect pictures of butterflies cut out of magazines and stuff like that and would just hang them amongst the canopy of her bed. And um, she personally, in her diary, kind of identified as an Icarus kind of character, as not being able to fly. 
why do you think that Frida Kahlo works in self-portraiture? I mean, I think it could go back to like how you were talking about how so few other people have those same experiences. I know that, you know, disability and chronic pain and things can be very isolating, you know, just yeah. not just emotionally, but physically. If you can't get up and go see people, you are kind of stuck on your own and painting yourself and your experiences gives you a way to express that and kind of put it out there and communicate with other people even if you can't be there directly to speak with them. Just the sheer amount of solitude and also Frida thought that she knew herself best. So she thought, since this is the subject that I know the best, this is what I will make art about. Another thing, Lacanian psychology was just starting to come out when Frida was um, making her work. What's what's Lacanian psychology? Lacan took Freud and went, you're not wrong, but you're not right. And he essentially went, rather than centering everything around a sexual need for the phallus and based around like fear of the father and sexual need for the mother, let's talk about ourselves being socialized in how society is reacting to what we're doing. Like if you're a baby and you're like, I'm going to touch this hot stove and your parents are like, no, you can't touch the hot stove. Then your baby brain's like, cool, but stoves are bad. And then on a broader subject, things like, oh, my parents act weird when I... I don't know, masturbate. So therefore, masturbation must be bad. And all of these things must be bad. Okay. Um, so it's kind of like you have the ego and the id still of this is like who I'm presenting and who I think I am and who I want to be. And this this is my basic primal instinct. Okay. So those kinds of things are still there. But like, it's more, it's more about how dreams and how like nurture influences you as a person. Um, that makes sense. But one of the things that Lacan talked about was kind of the mirror self or the projection of a universal self. The mirror self is when you look at something and you identify that as yourself, the universal self is all of yourselves kind of combined, or at least that's how I personally like understand it to be. I'm probably wrong. Feel free to call me out. Anybody who's listening who's like, yeah, no, that sucks. But every single picture that we look at that Frida Kahlo has made is an image eye or an image body. And what that means is every single picture and work that we're looking at is just one snapshot of Frida Kahlo's identity of who she is and an experience that she had. So when we are looking at her self-portraits, what we are looking at is her introspection, her like mirroring through Lacan. Let's talk a little bit about Catholicism, unless you want to talk about psychology more. I probably know more about Catholicism than psychology, <laughs> honestly. You know, surprisingly, I might too, let's yeah. be honest. My, my, my knowledge of Freud is he was kind of a dick, and he did a lot of cocaine. You know, Freud was kind of a dick, and he really liked poop. I really? Know. Listen, if you read Freud, okay. you're kind of like, all right, you. there was like some reason that uh, you must have fixated on this particular thing. Okay, that's um, all right. Let's talk about the self as sacred. One of the ways that you can look at this white sheet that's going on in front of her pelvis that she's holding, you could kind of think of it as like a hospital sheet. And we talked about the tears being a source of like pain or anguish. So let's talk about Catholic symbology. Oh yeah. No, you you brought that up and I was suddenly just like, oh wow, yeah, this is like a, yeah. a, an icon of a saint. Like mm -hmm. if this were in any other context, you'd be like, oh, that's... 
That's Saint, Saint Carlo, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she died from whatever, some horrible thing, because they right. always die from oh, some they horrible always thing. Die from something terrible. Yeah. But it's for Christ, so yeah. it's okay. So it's fine. Yeah. Um we have the tears. A lot of saints are depicted crying. We also have a lot of we being Catholics, not actually me personally. There are a lot of statues and crying paintings that are scattered throughout Catholic mythology. You can find them even today. We have the nails of Christ. And if you notice, there are literally three nails that are larger than all of the other nails, Mm. which could perhaps be interpreted as the hand and foot nails. Christ is also talked about in two ways. You can talk about it as the removal of the sheet after Easter, um, him like rising from the grave in Christian mythology, or you can talk about the loincloth that he was wearing during the crucifixion, Mm -hmm. which would probably be more in line with like the nails and the corset holding you up. Right. So this is Frida Kahlo painting herself as Christ. Right. Well, and the the piercing of the side mm. and oh, her being true. split, too. You're right. Yeah. Frida paints herself as Christ because she's trying to, like, to examine the sanctity of the material, putting her suffering on a pedestal, if you will. And another thing that you find in Catholic iconography, iconography thank yeah. you, they make a lot of ex voto portraits. What's that? An ex-voto portrait, I'm glad that you asked, is an event portrait. Essentially, this portrait would be something bad has happened to a human or something good has happened to a human that could have been bad. And the human is shown as being vulnerable or in pain or just escaping near pain. And then there will also be like a picture of either them looking towards something that is meant to be God or looking at God. And it is meant to show humanity being vulnerable in comparison to the face of God. Interesting. Um, And some of her other works have been compared to X photos, um, especially considering the fact that there was a huge event multiple huge events, in fact, that happened in Frida Kahlo's life where she, like, was made to feel extremely, extremely vulnerable. I was just thinking about what you were saying about with making the the material. You're saying something about, like, the material, the sanctity of the material. Oh, the sanctity of materialism. Yes, I really, I like that because, like, in a lot of ways, depending on which particular branch of Christianity, that is very consistent with the Christian image of Christ, of mm-hmm. being fully material and fully sanctified. And I don't know, I just thought that was a really cool way of saying that and like well, thank you. phrasing it. Let's talk about feminism. Why Great. Not? I like it. So I don't have a whole lot more to add about fem- feminism because we already like know that Frida Kahlo was for it and subverting the nude figure. But I want to focus on the fact that like feminism at that time was very focused on finding a core image depicting like how motherhood works. I would also like to point out that I also don't think that Frida Kahlo is fully like um, second wave feminism simply because second wave feminism is not very intersectional. It doesn't give a lot of wiggle room for like folks who have like a different experience to kind of wiggle around in. My, my left brain stemness, can you remind me first, second, and third wave feminism? Okay, so first wave feminism is women as the victim. We are victims of patriarchy and we need to be able to do things like vote and be not victims okay so that was like kind of with the prohibition era too gotcha mm -hmm. so thinking about suffragette and like stuff like that and then in the 40s and 50s we kind of get 
women need to have control over their own bodies. We are very focused on motherhood. We are very focused on the physicality of womanhood and like how like men view women and we don't want to be viewed as sexual objects anymore, but rather as people with agency because we are the people who raise men and therefore we can do anything and we can work any job that we like. And that kind of prevailed through kind of like the 80s, the 90s, we kind of had like a setback where people were like, no, women need to stay home and be more woman-y. And currently we're in third wave. I'm not actually sure. Third or fourth wave, depending. Because the fourth wave is the argument that the internet shifted things. But third wave feminism is more intersectional feminism of not every woman has to experience the same thing. Not every woman has to be centered around motherhood. Not every woman has to want to work. Some women can want to be at home. Some women can want to raise their children. Some women can want to only be sexual objects. What's interesting is second wave feminism actually isn't always very... Sex positive? Not sex positive. They're not queer positive. Oh, well. Um, in, because, like, a lot of their marketing was like, we're not just lesbians. We have straight women, too. Oh, boy. <laughs> it was a lot. <laughs> so our current feminism is trying to be more intersectional, trying to understand that, like, me as a as a white non-binary person who once identified as a white woman am going to have a completely different experience than a black trans woman or i as a uh, a person living in america i will never ever understand what it's like to be a woman living in china and like and like fourth wave feminism kind of blurs the lines with queer theory and like stuff like that Let's talk a little bit about surrealism. Yes. You said that Kahlo either painted surrealist style or was a surrealist. And I'm here to tell you, I'm so sorry that you're wrong. Oh, that's okay. Um, so Kahlo was considered to be, technically can be lumped into surrealism. It's kind of like how Georgia O'Keeffe can technically be lumped into feminist painting. Kahlo did not identify with surrealism. Oh, Okay. Kahlo considered surrealists to be people who, like Salvador Dali, painted dreams or painted drug trips mm -hmm. or, like, tried to be absurdist in how they got across their answers. And Kahlo very vehemently says, this is my reality that I'm painting. Even though I have the body of a deer in this painting or even though I'm flying in this painting, this is how I feel. Sorry. Sorry, I was no, just going to say, that kind of, that makes sense when you phrase it like that, because it's not painting so much visions or dreams, but it's, this is the only language I have to express this pain that I'm experiencing, mm -hmm. to express, you know, this, this isolation, this outrage, this desire to not be seen in this way or to be seen another way. So that, that makes sense why she would reject the surrealist label. Right. So uh, we, we mentioned like the, the medical imagery earlier and just the chronic pain. And I know I keep going back to that, but that's just been such a huge part of my life. You know, I had scoliosis surgery when I was like 16, which was really good because it fixed a lot of things, but it also involved like flaying open my back and putting metal rods into my spine. Right. And it was like, even yeah. though it's what you want to have done, it's still like, oh, wow, that was a lot. Yeah, and, no, I get that. Um, you know, I still have a lot of residual back pain from that. It's just 
and that kind of this the imagery of this of like being split open and that that crumbling pillar but still like managing to hold it together through the bands of cloth speaks a lot to what I kind of have to do every day is, you know, you get up and you're like, oh, my back, my back. And you, mm-hmm. you, you know, you, you, uh, you know, you take your, your NSAIDs or your Tylenol or whatever and you, to get through the day and you just kind of, you know, you know, it's never going to be fixed, but you just kind of keep go going. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, um, that I've often said jokingly, like if I could switch out for an Android, I totally would. But like, <laughs> I, I get it. You I know, know like, so many people. Right. Well, cause when your body is just like hurting you, you can get that disconnect from it. And you're like, I wish it could be something else and in another way. And I don't know. I just, I've, I've always really appreciated and resonated with her depiction of that as somebody who like also goes through that pain, like probably not anywhere near to the same extent as her, but I mean, you can still appreciate someone else's experience, I guess. The last thing I want to leave us out with before we outro is there was a poet whose name was Andre Brenton, and he said that Frida Kahlo's art was like a ribbon wrapped around a bomb. I love that. I love it. It's so, so good. Yes. You can find this podcast on Instagram at also on Twitter. My personal Instagram is kieve.art. I also now have a Gmail that I would like you all to talk to me with. It's please touch the art at gmail.com. I didn't prepare You're okay. That. Okay. Oh, it's okay. Oliver didn't leave anything either. Okay. They were a mystery. Okay. You can be a mystery too if you like. I know. Woo. <laughs> they did that woo hand gesture. No. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, thank you, WCBE, for having me and letting me be a part of the podcast experience. Thank you.